Hello, it's Yusuf, and before we get into this episode, I need to cut out a big old slice of humble pie, because, <laughs> as you'll see at the start of this episode, I ruthlessly took the mick out of people that use shitty microphones and bad audio quality, and I went on a rant, and I cannot believe that the only time I, I ranted so much about audio quality was the time that I had the wrong microphone set as the input on the recording software. But at least it provides some comedic value for you. So serve me up some whipped cream and off we go into the episode. It's the law of the universe, like it's literally when you press the record button, there's a guy with a big rattly trolley, like the proper rickety 1980s hospital trolley just up and down my road and it, the sounds just bouncing off the the walls you'd have just been waiting around the corner won't you yeah but all right they're going now let's do it it's you're right though like maybe it's reticular activation system gone wrong that like you're only aware of background noises once you start recording stuff because but one other thing is that i'm seeing a lot of people who and I'm going to rustle some jimmies here. I, I apologize, but a lot of people with that snowball microphone, the, 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 the blue snowball, and these are people who consider themselves to be podcasters and right. That microphone, the only reason you would buy it is because it's 50 quid rather than a hundred quid for the, the blue Yeti. But it is, I'd say it's worse than your built-in iPhone microphone. It's worse than your MacBook mic. So like, there's just no reason to buy it. It looks stupid. It's poor quality. If you're a podcaster, you are operating in the medium of audio. Just get the, uh, spend the extra 50 quid and get a Blue Yeti. Or even better, spend the extra 150 quid and get one of these. Are these 150 quid? I think they're more than that, aren't they? I think no, the extra, so 200 quid. All right. But what about? You know, well, I just think like if if audio is your thing, like mm. it's one, it's a real bugbear and it's another, you know, on, on the, the hill of kettlebells, TRX and, um, microphones <laughs> that, that I, that I will die on. <laughs> and PCs. And oh, and P, yeah, PC, Microsoft is the like audio quality of content is far more important than video quality. Like any videographer will tell you that people will tolerate bad visuals more than they will tolerate bad audio. And it makes sense when you're watching like a YouTube video or something, if it's like, I'm in a wind tunnel, like you're just like, no. Turn I think off. there's a layer beyond that, which is bad content, like bad material. <laughs> really but nice I, quality, but bad content. So if I said to you, I've got like a, an old MP3 file, but it's like, Dan Kennedy's lost seminar where he talks about the like 21 day sales sequence that he's used in his business, but it's really scratchy and someone's had to like remaster it and it's not very good. And there's no video. You would still listen to every word of it. Wouldn't you? Yeah. It's like the secret scrolls. Yeah, this, yeah exactly. The secret scrolls. Go and uncover it. Yeah. Fine. That's very like true. If, you're, if you're Gary V and you put out shit, shit content quality, like shit audio and shit video, people still watch your content. So that's but the power you, of personal branding, isn't it? It's the power of, of like knowing that if I listen to this person, the information is good. So because it's, it's Gary V or because it's Dan Kennedy, like 
his yeah. reputation precedes him. And so you'll tolerate stuff. So it's interesting. I heard someone say that like, everyone's saying that attention spans are getting worse and worse, but what's actually happening is consideration spans are the, the key thing yeah. to consider because wow. we'll watch three hour Joe Rogan episodes. So it's not that people are anti and Joe Rogan's doing pretty well, isn't he? So doing all right, yeah. it's not as if like no one's watching long form content. It's that you've got to be brought into it. I mean, so, your, I mean your just, webinar's just, an hour long. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. God, I'd never thought, and, but that, that, that so succinctly wraps up exactly what's happened is that there's more competition with content. So if I'm going to spend 20 minutes or if I'm going to spend three hours and watch something, I could watch, I could listen to a three hour Joe Rogan view with Elon Musk, or I could, you know, consume like lots of little bits on Instagram that might all be terrible. So <laughs> it's, you've really got to, the, the bar's set higher, isn't it? For, for all these things. And I guess if you're new, having things like good audio and good video and a good idea, even if people, you have no credibility or no brand to, to rely on, you've got to like turn up all those dials to help you. Yeah. It it's, well, you're right that like improving your audio quality is not going to get you more clients, but what it does is it reduces the friction for someone to consume your content and therefore give you a consideration of what you have to say. So yeah. it's just about eliminating friction and giving you the best chance that then, then your message actually being heard. Mm. Um, just to defend the the potentially inevitable lashback against that comment for, <laughs> for years, our audio and video wow. were pretty poor. Um, like truly terrible. I think that's, uh, yeah. And the reason, so I think the reason why they're using the frame of like, if you're a podcaster is important is that the first few episodes of this podcast, and you can go all the way back and listen to it. And me walking to a coffee shop in the morning using the Apple wired headphones, speaking into the little thing and, and like apologizing for a car going past. But we still made sales off those podcasts. And we consistently, <laughs> we still made sales off the ones that were done on Zoom, the ones with scratchy audio. But we had a very clear reason of like, this is what we're doing it for. It's like, this is why this exists. This is the goal within the business. If, if you've seen modern wisdom and you've seen Joe Rogan, all these things you think I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to invest in the 50 quid mic. Like you're not backing yourself very much to, to, to cause that's your business, isn't it? Like modern, modern wisdom is, is fundamentally it's a YouTube channel and it's a, it's a podcast. And those are the primary things. It, it would be senseless for Chris to skimp on the quality of either of those things. Cause that's the product that he's building. Cause it, that's the core thing. It's like the, the product for Chris is the podcast. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's kind of, yeah, it's just giving yourself the best chance. Like if you're going out to a club, trying to chat people up and you've got your trousers the wrong way around and you're spitting a bit on people's faces, like you might still successfully pull mm. someone, but you're not making it easy for yourself. It's like, it's having not washed. You've just come in the clothes you're wearing and you woke up, um, and you've not brought, not brushed your teeth and you, you're just in the nightclub. Cause it's still you, you still look the same. Like the, the, the core thing is still the same, but you could have just made 20% effort and because you, conversion. you've raised the consideration threshold a little bit for people to like, they go, Oh, do I really want to talk to this person? Who's like unwashed, spraying a bit of spit. Like, oh, I'll give them a chance, but it's money. I've got a, 
would you rather for you? Okay. A considered one. I actually don't remember adding this to the, the list, so it's it's fresh to me as well. <laughs> you have to commit one crime. By doing so, you will ensure that nobody ever commits that same crime again. What crime would you rather commit? That that crime specifically or that, that like category of crime? I think that category of crime. Drink driving. Okay. I feel like you've been distracted. Oh, sorry, I'm asking Mike to shut the door. See, um, All right. Because I pressed record and obviously what he's done is he's come in the house, the slammed the door, and then rustling loads of crisps just outside my... It's the, it's the, the, um, the twist in the tale where Mike was the guy pushing the trolley on the street. <laughs> and... Yeah. So dr drink driving, because I can, I can do drink driving. This is assuming I'm, I'm optimizing for doing good. Yeah. So I can okay. do drink driving in a way that no one gets killed. Like I'll make sure I'll get myself just over the legal limit. I'll drive past a police car and swerve in the road and then park in the middle. So That's no one, no one, Johnny. No one gets hit, hurt, not, but, but then no more drink driving occurs in the UK. Because actually, yeah, the crime is the drink driving, not hitting someone while drunk. Yeah. Like you prevented that before, without actually having to kill someone in the process. Brilliant. Exactly. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, if you do, if you do murder or any of the ones where like you have to actually complete one unit of that thing, mm. you're still doing harm. And I know you're like doing a bit of harm to prevent a lot of harm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if there's the option to do even less harm, to do no harm, I'm also kind of keeping one eye on the on the fact of like, will I have to go to prison? So like, if I if I do one murder and then prevent all murders, I'm probably still going to serve most of my life or a good chunk of the rest of my life in prison. Really, drink driving. I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's a prison sentence, is it? Really? Surely. I'd in fact, is drink driving a criminal offence or is it a driving offence? I think it's criminal. I mean, do, if, if there's any lawyers listening or policemen, let us know. Well, there is actually, your answer? well so the, there's, there is a caveat to this question. So oh, no. I just need to check that I'm still within the rules. Because um, you have to consider not just which crime you think is worse, but which one you believe you have the mental capacity to actually commit. The severity of the crime you choose will be extreme. You can't find the most humane way to commit the crime you choose. There is no painless option. You will commit the crime in the way that you believe is the most painful and brutal and heinous. No, that no. includes the choice of your victim. Ah, oh, they, they've, they've preempted us. That includes the choice of victim and the particular details of what you do to them. You don't get to choose who you think deserves it the most. Yeah. Ah, see, that, that was also going to be my get out clause to go in. Like, if you're going to murder someone, pick someone who's already on death row. Choosing a particular crime may eliminate parts of other crimes, but not the crimes outright. Choosing rape will only mean that it doesn't happen to adults again. Choosing child molestation would mean it never happens to children again. Okay, so it's high, it's highly specific then. Um, choosing... I think if they're, if they're going to be like that about this, then I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna optimize for smallest prison sentence. <laughs> like I've tried I've tried my best. 
I tried my best to do what I think was a good thing. Tidy up in legalese. And they've caught me with the T's and C's. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's your answer? I think I'm with you on this. Like they've, they've made it as difficult as possible to do good. Mm. Well, no, they haven't. They, they, what they've done is they put me in a bind so that I personally have to go and do the crime. And yeah, I think, you know what, from a utilitarian perspective, I just will have to pick the, I, I put up a vote, put an Instagram story up, what crime's the worst, and then just go and do that one. So it's, I don't think it's worst because I think I would look at, I would get some data on like what, what causes, which crime causes the most deaths per year. <laughs> and then try to do that but again like if that means i spend the rest of my life in jail you know i'm sorry but i, I am i am a bit selfish i, I think everybody's <laughs> a bit selfish like i could just not engage with the question but I, I'm, I'm here i've showed up i'm doing my bit i'm engaging with the question i've tried my best to do the. you do have something. given it a go it's not as if you've been like no nope, not interested you've like you've tried to offer some help but yeah. you, you've gone for deaths per unit which is an interesting metric rather than suffering per unit or you know what is death necessarily the i mean i think you have to say that like if somebody dies then that person is going through a fairly significant area under the curve suffering and then that affects family members friends everybody that knows that person that suffers the grief and the the loss and all that sort of stuff so I think deaths per, I think if I fixed deaths per unit for the biggest source of deaths, the crime that causes the most deaths in the UK or in the world in a year, I think I'd be doing a fairly good thing. There's something I find really funny about a particular type of crime. You know, those police chase shows in America with the helicopters and there was a guy who, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about this, but it's just impressive what he's done. So there was a guy who was having a psychotic event and he commandeered a tank and drove around the city and crashed into all the telephone towers around the city, like systematically before he was caught by the helicopters. And I think the damage, <laughs> I think the damage that he caused was in millions. It was oh, easily. Like, <laughs> easily. It's just like, only by virtue of him having a psychotic event did he manage to somehow like optimize for the most expensive possible day and damage that he could cause. It's quite impressive, to be yeah. honest. It just shows how hard it is to stop a tank, doesn't it? <laughs> Even if you've got a helicopter, it's... Well, I think you need another tank, don't you? Yeah. Have Speaking we got time of- to talk about the... Four currencies. Yeah, I think so. Are we not going to meeting in ten minutes? Joey Teller will be fourteen twenty-five. Okay. Just a little bit of behind the scenes for everybody listening. How it how it really goes down behind the scenes of propane. <laughs> we thought we could squeeze in a little podcast before a meeting, but um, uh-uh. the, the ethnic lateness caught up with us. That's that's my influence. Um, so Johnny wanted to for us to share a framework that that we we use in making decisions around um, 
really quitting our jobs in finance and accountancy. And part of the decision criteria for your life path, like whether you choose to run an online, an online business at all, whether you choose to be an employee, whether you choose to go and ordain as a monk or to live light or, you know, all, all of these things are informed by this framework. And that's why I think it's a really powerful one, very important to get clear on. And it is to look at your life in terms of the four currencies. So money, freedom of time, freedom of location, and satisfaction or impact. You may want to add in your own currency as well if something doesn't quite, um, if there's an additional thing that you derive value from. But when you look at any job opportunity or any business potential or lifestyle choice in those four currencies, you can make a decision much more clearly as to is it gonna fulfill you or not. And it also detaches you, it frees you from having to live according to other people's expectations and ideals, which is definitely something that I think we both fell into going down the classic graduate scheme job yeah. route and doing what we thought we should be doing in the corporate world. And I think both of us very quickly realizing there's quite a painful existence. Were you, so I, I was reminded of this because I listened to an, an, a podcast Yusuf was on, uh, Fergus Crawley's podcast. I can't remember what the name of the podcast is called. The Modern Mind. Modern Mind. So you talked about it in that and I've not uh, heard you talk about it for a while, but you you described moving from, so your career path has been investment banking straight out of uni into medicine and then into propane full-time. And I think you were describing like investment banking as being very high on the money dial, very low on the freedom of time, freedom of location and satisfaction dial. And then medicine kind of inverts that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like lower, lower on money and also very low on freedom of time and freedom of, of location, but very high on satisfaction and impact. But neither of them really like tick the boxes for you. Yeah. And, you know, I suppose it's important to say that there isn't a truly correct answer. It's, it's about mm -hmm. what is, what do you value the most and what, what's going to give you the, the daily happiness in terms of how your week looks. Mm. Um, I've just realized very embarrassingly that the wrong mic input has been, <laughs> has been selected after that, that rant at the start of the episode. That rant in low quality, in low oh, quality audio. God. And I'm using a, I'm using the MacBook mic because I've selected the wrong mic. See if anyone notices. And I can't change it mid recording. So I've got to have to go and eat my hat. What a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, on my that's going to make the bloopers real, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Have we been collecting bloopers for this? We've got, yeah, I think um, I've got, got some. I've got three hundred and fifty clips from the podcast in a folder to oh, to my. schedule. Some of which are bloopers. Um, Still to schedule. I think I've maybe scheduled a hundred of them. So. There's another look behind the scenes really? of how it really, how it really goes down. Not really cool um, content lever. But it got me thinking. So I was walking Dexter, listening to this podcast, thinking how the reason why I didn't do, the reason why I didn't go into propane earlier than I did, 
firstly, I was contractually bound and I would have had to have paid back all my training contract fees. But secondly, um, I thought that the money dial, I, I prefer to think of them in dials. It just, I find it very, or like burners. For, mm, I find that right. very easy to visualize because like they can all be a little bit on or they can't all be turned to the max, can they? There's like a, it's like designing a character in Tony Hawk's on the, on the PS1. You've only got a hundred points to spend. So you, yeah. yeah. Do you want it on the Ollie, the Nolly, the... <laughs> The, the 360 flip or whatever it is half pipe turn back whatever strength speed stamina yeah style um so you can't have them all at 10 or all at 100 but you you can't have all of them on a bit so it's turn, it's deciding like where the where the dials maximize so i i thought that money for online coaching would be too low i thought really high in satisfaction and impact great for where i work and how and the hours i work in terms of i choose those but I, the money i thought was so severely low like i thought we'd struggle to make like 500 quid a month doing it so i didn't mm -hmm. i didn't do it and it was only when it was it was um a combination of john romanello mike samuels and paul mort seeing how those guys i know paul mort wasn't in the fitness industry at the time excuse me but we joined a course paul mort did a course which was a thousand quid and he we were in a group on the day that launch with 70 people in it and i was like wow like this the paul has made 70 grand in essentially a day which was like the salary i might have been on if i'd stayed at what i was doing for you know six years seven years or something like that ambitiously that that was a real longer than actually like earth shattering thing to it was a it really broke our beliefs around like, oh, you can, you can make that kind of money on the internet. Well, even more so. The, the reason I, I weighted it a little bit low was because of who it was. But when John Romanello broke down the, the launch numbers of his fitness product, which is called Final Phase Fat Loss, it was, I can't, it was like in the hundreds of thousands that he netted from the launch of an ebook. So it was like, we did like 1.3 in, in total, total takings. And then some of that goes to affiliates and some of that goes to the platform. And then I took a bite. I'm like, what the hell, what on earth? I can remember where I was sat. I was in, I was in my car, just pulled up to a, a, a law firm that I was auditing, sat outside and he just said that. And I was just like, I am an idiot. <laughs> what am I doing? So that, yeah. That's a perfect example of like, because you, you were working really hard to not only in that job, but to get to that job and all of the, you had to fire on all cylinders to point towards that. It's not for, mm. it's not, it's not like you were being lazy. It's just that you were peddling really hard and in, in the wrong direction, simply because neither of us had really sat down and fully examined what do we want out of this mm. career. And I think it's very easy to do that. And it's why like, before you consider efficiency and speed, you need to consider direction. And it's a bit of a harder thing to try and figure out, but you know, just give it an hour, sit down and open up a journal and just like draw out the four dials and play around with them and think like, okay, what if I, how would my life feel if it was turned up to the max on this, but really low on the others or, or vice versa. Now, it, the, the other thing to consider is that some of these dials interact with other dials. So it's not <laughs> fully, you know, operating in a vacuum that if you were to go and get 
a sales rep job in a SaaS company, like a software company, and you smashed it for three years, and then you live like a monk, you could probably retire. Mm. So, you know, it would age you 10 years maybe, but it's, it's a consideration that turning up the money dial can then turn up the freedom of time dial. Um, it gets even more complicated as well because time, an hour of your time, you could argue is worth more. Let's say you're 32, like we are, and an hour of your time today versus an hour of your time when you're 72 or 82 and what you can multiply that by. So like your energy, willingness to take risk, desire to do certain things, uh, flexibility, especially if like, if you don't have a family, if you don't have children, if you're not married or, or whatever, like arguably the value of your time changes over time. The, the value of a unit of your time changes over time as well. So the traditional model, which is what's spoken about in the four hour work week of like work until you're 70 and then retire doesn't really factor that in that like when you're 70 and you've been working 60, 70 hour work weeks until then to then attain the freedom. Actually, those hours aren't worth as much as if you'd had more freedom when you were 30. Yeah. That's the other thing to bear in mind. It's a, that was a, another belief shift for me or a, just again, an unexamined belief kind of highlighting the blind spot. Tim Ferriss jumps into your mind and like rattles about with a, with a torch and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that spider was there. I heard. Yeah. Which was the, the thing you described there of like most people will set up their life time-wise and, and financially to retire at the age of 65 or 70. And so they backload all of their freedom of time and location to the point where they are physically in the worst shape to enjoy that retirement. Yeah. Whereas what he suggests in the book is that you do mini retirements throughout your life and also that you test lifestyles that you think you're working towards. So he was like, oh, my ideal would be going to like sit on a beach in Bali with sipping Mai Tais and that would be my, that would be my life. Like, that's what I would do when I retire, when I've got the 10 million pounds or whatever. And so he was like, well, I'll go and test that for six weeks. I think he managed two weeks and he was like, oh, actually this is pretty mind numbing. So it, like so obvious, but like, oh yeah, if you just, just like go and test the hypothesis that this is what I would enjoy, just go and see if it holds up. And if it doesn't, then maybe it's not what you actually wanted. I, 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 I do wonder whether when I'm 70, assuming I live that long, 75 or whatever, will I want to retire or not? Like if I was given a choice, but you can continue what you're doing or you can stop. Um, I, w I worry that I would find less fulfillment without having like a project or something, you know, unless you sort of fabricate a project or you find a new hobby or something like that. Um, I don't know whether I like, whether it, it lines up with sort of what I think I would want anyway. So the yeah. idea of sort of sacrificing all of your youth for that, um, I find very challenging. Hence why kind of having meaningful work with freedom and mm. enough money to support that. And then being able to spend time with loved ones and like meals with friends and like time with family and dates and holidays and just that, that stuff, like the really 
really basic joys of life that if you were working flat out in investment banking, you, you sacrifice all of that stuff for one currency, for one dial. The, um, part of the reason why I wanted to speak about this was, um, actually, no, just linked to that. I'm, as, as we've just discussed, I've, I've been trying to be in a calorie deficit at the minute and I'm extremely hungry. And I was thinking this morning about an interview with Kai Green at the end of his contest prep, where he was like, all I want to do is like smash a big plate of donuts. But I know that's a trick because I know that it'll be just as satisfying as like meal three on a normal day of dieting. Like it'll taste just as good. It'll be just as satiating. Like mechanically, it's a very similar thing. It's just a trick. And my mind is just convincing me. And I think having like having a job that you enjoy and then having the occasional weekend where you go away with family or having an evening off or, you know, taking a week of holiday, I think is just, I think it's the trick of the mind to think, God, wouldn't it be great to have no work? Wouldn't it be great to, to be able to retire? But actually like having a nice weekend is just as enjoyable, but you still have the, the focus and the, pro assuming you have a job you enjoy, like, I actually think that's a better structure than just having nothing, suddenly having nothing to do. What a comparison. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Cause you're right. It's, it's the contrast is the, the point of a holiday is that it's a holiday from the, the thing. Yeah. And that's why it's partly why it's enjoyable. It's the Did you ever yang. see the, uh, video called fat Nick post contest? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll put it over, it's over this video. It's a guy who <laughs> has just finished a bodybuilding competition. So he's in bodybuilding shape shredded. And he's like, right, I've been restricting for four months or six months. It's time to go ham. I'm going to eat what I want and I'm not going to stop and I don't care. And he just goes to like all these American diners like IHOP and like places that sell like cherry pancakes with ice cream and, and he mm. just goes nuts on it. And he gains 34 pounds in a week. And you see the, the before and after, and he, he goes like, he goes from actively shredded to actively fat. It's a very strange sight. It's sad, isn't it really? Having been in like, not necessarily contest lean, but having like got to really lean myself, the thought of then just throwing that away in a week, like the weeks and weeks and weeks <sighs> of pain that's just gone. But you can also look at that and be like, I can totally, I, I, oh, yeah. I, I could do that. Like, I could yeah. totally imagine. No you know, problem. If someone said, right, John, you've got free reign off to IHOP with a, with a company card. Probably not, probably not, um, now though. Cause have, like having just been in America on honeymoon, like I, I had that thought, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to count anything. Like, I'm just going to eat whatever, whatever the hell I want. Like you get pretty full, pretty quick. Like the, the thought of another plate gets fairly, um, like off putting fairly quickly. But if you're in that like post contest, really, I think those bar those floodgates just, just get lifted, don't they? And they just, those rules don't apply anymore. And you mm -hmm. can just eat until there's no limit until you reach like it starts overflowing and you're actually throwing it up. But, um, the, what I was going to say before, the reason why I wanted to raise this was I think probably for us, and I think for most people in listening to this, a financially successful online fitness business means those dials are turned up as high as they can be. I think if you compare it to a face-to-face -face business, like look at a face-to-face -face PT business or a gym and ramp that up to its highest financial success level. What is the problem with that? 
it's time and location. Like there's still the financial and there's still the impact. But the the thing that people say to us on calls all the time, they complain about is I just want some time back. I just want to be able to like spend the weekend with my kids or I just want to be able to go on holiday and not lose income. That's where the problem lies. So back to your example before, like given an hour, I think in that hour, I think, what am I doing now? Let's play that out for 10 years and let's say it goes as well as it could go. What is then, What? how do the dials score? So if you're in a career and you don't like it, do it for 10 years, where does it end up? If you're in a gym mm-hmm. and you fill your calendar, where does that end up? And I think the reason, the only reason why people don't think, don't do the online thing is they think they will make it work. But if you're, this is the, like the Gary Vee advice, if you're really successful, at something that you're not really fully behind. Imagine being fully behind the thing that you're doing and having the time and having the flexibility. What would what would things be like then? It's a good point because now the idea of doing an offline business, like if we were to say, oh, we'll create an offline offer and all of the things that are associated with that, it might bump up the money dial a little bit, but it's going to severely turn down the other two it would be stuff i think it for you i think it would be stuff like having to like use a bit of paper or (laughs) you know the the council the council sends us a form to fill in for the building like food you know you you serve protein shakes in the gym right now you need the food hygiene certificate and yeah and you'll try and do it in a portal or you'll try and like hire a va or but you'll just come up against like public sector just bashing against you. City just, council paperwork. Yeah. They sent, yeah, you have to print off the form and then fill in that, yeah, get it stamped by your bank. And oh, but that, God. The, the thing you kept coming back to in that podcast, which for people listening, if you want to listen to another podcast, I'd go listen to it because it's really good. That you keep coming back to this idea of like a leveraged income versus a non leveraged income. So that's the other thing with online and offline is that. You can make something, put it on the internet and set up an automation that sells it. And then it just sells versus attending a gym hourly to, to generate the same income. Yeah. It's the residual value in the work that you do. And it incentivizes you to then create the best gold standard version of your work because you know that it's going to be copied and pasted everywhere and it'll be doing it. it you're creating an asset rather than creating a, rather than doing a bit of work. Um, yeah. So if over time you're creating hundreds or thousands of assets, which is just, you know, that's your content marketing, then that works while you're asleep. And it's, it's, it's incredible. The podcast, by the way, thank you for the, the plug, Johnny, is uh, Modern Mind with Fergus Crawley. Yeah. So he kindly had me on. He's a hybrid athlete, very impressive guy, actually runs a hybrid athlete coaching business, does a lot of stuff for charity from November for men's mental health. And he recently did a 6,600 challenge, which is I can't, something like 60 miles or 60 kilometers and then a 600 total. Um, so some kind of like super That's triathlon impressive. event. That's um, impressive. I don't, I'm going to have to dig up the numbers because I've, I've probably butchered that, but it's, it's, it's a lot of like cycling and swimming and running and lifting and just everything at once. I listened to those guys talk about that. I listened to him talk about his method of training. And I, I think I'd pro- probably, if he decided to describe his training to me, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds fun. The bit that doesn't sound fun is this like a seven hour bike ride. <laughs> well, he did like a, a 48 hour one. 
um, over a weekend, which is what he was gearing up for. But yeah, it's like, like, think what I could be doing with this time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his, his approach is like, he's he's like, I, I like the idea of CrossFit, but I don't like the execution because it's, it's chaotic and there's no structure. Like what I'd rather do is I want to have good endurance and good strength and good whatever. So I'll just train those disciplines separately and then just get good at all of them. Yeah. Rather than try and do them all in one training session and not really achieve anything. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I, I think I have the same itch as him listening to him talk about it, but I think I've applied that. I think golf is that for me. And anybody who hears that and thinks like golf's stupid, like go and play golf for a month. Like go and play a couple of full rounds of golf for a month. Someone who's quite athletic and it'll, you'll realize how it just batters you from, from all, all directions. Really? You just have to get into the Valley of despair to fully recognize that. So imagine, We'll, we'll end, the, end with this. Imagine for three hours and 45 minutes applying maximal concentration to everything that you do for that time to try and get the best score you can possibly get. And on the last, on the, the last tee shot of the 18 whole round, you hit it out of bounds twice and apply loads of penalties. And suddenly what was going to be a PB score is now not even anywhere near your best. It's just psychologically uh, and also having, having something really bad, having just happened. And then you've got to be like, Oh no, no, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. It's just f- physically, emotionally, mentally, extremely taxing. There's a new world record attempt that was or a new world record set the yesterday of the most eggs balanced on top of each other long ways. <laughs> oh, God. And I imagine that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. It's quite nice in a way that though, because I'd, I'd prefer that because as soon as it goes, it goes. I think the reason that that, that scenario is so mentally challenging is that the slow tumble, you hit one shot and it goes out of bounds. Like a professional golfer would hit the next one straight par the hole and come off with minimal damage. The amateur like me, <laughs> whose emotions are like a tumble dryer on max <laughs> hits, <laughs> hits one out of bounds hits two out of bounds, hits three out of bounds. And so the thing that you, you could have rectified and controlled because you can't handle the, the inner turmoil that, that it creates makes it even worse. How many things in life are like that? Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Real mental training there. <laughs> so there we go. Right. We Four must go have this meeting, a secret meeting. Speak to you next week. Bye.